We're in a series titled Scars, and last week we experienced uh, the scars of Jesus. We saw how his scars tell a story, and his scars gave the disciples faith and hope and strength to move them into their journey. Today, we are going to look at a powerful conversation that Jesus had with an unnamed woman and how Jesus heals her life and sets her into motion into a new reality. Now many stories in the gospel show that people sought out Jesus. They wanted to be with him. And this true event happened here in John 4. It's not the woman seeking after Jesus. It's the opposite. Jesus is seeking her out. We find that Jesus is going out of his way to find, to speak, and to demonstrate his love to a woman who has no idea. And he's that traveler that it's unknown. And I always love how this event is introduced. John 4, 3 through 6. It said, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he went to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus, the son of the living God, can't help himself. Scripture says that he had to go through Samaria. This is intentionality, folks. Now, Jesus would normally, uh, or or Jews would normally avoid Samaria. There's ancient, well-trodden paths that made broad circles around Samaria. And the road through Samaria was perhaps least traveled from Judea to Galilee. Yet, he deliberately went there. This is an example of Jesus going after the one. He knows that this woman needs healing, and he seeks her out. And he moves past cultural and worldly barriers. And tired from his journey, Jesus found momentary relief and solace waiting right there by Jacob's well. Verses 7 and 8. When a Samaritan woman came to draw well or water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. It's noon. She shows up. Why noon? Historically, women would gather in the morning, first thing, and they would go to the well, especially Jacob's well here, right in that plot of land dug deep, and they would have wonderful fellowship and socialization there. This woman is alone. There's social isolation with her. She draws water when other women are absent. And we learn, <laughs> we'll learn about why in a moment. She would rather sweat and labor in the sun than feel the condemnation by her community. But not shunned, she's not shunned or condemned by Jesus. He's this boundary crosser. In a world where men rarely speak to women in public, even if they're married to them, uh, she, he's right there with her wanting to meet. Jesus knows that those fences and boundaries need to be crossed. Her transformation is of the utmost importance to him. You know, God is always waiting to meet us in order to lead us into healing. 
And God will do whatever it takes to meet us. There are often times when we least expect it that God is setting up this divine appointment. God is not a God that necessarily waits until someone's looking for him and to show up in his life. God wants to show up in our lives. He seeks out those who need him, those who are wounded, those who need to have those wounds repaired. And it happens in many different ways, doesn't it? You ever had a divine appointment? Maybe driving down the road, a song touches your heart, a beautiful sunset, a billboard. Somebody speaks to you about their testimony, about what God's doing in their lives. Or you find a Bible in a hotel room, or a sunset, or a birth of a child, and you start to begin to dream of a new reality, a redefinition of what God can do in your life. Jesus' love seeks, my friends. There's a powerful scripture in John 15, 16 that says, You did not choose me, I chose you. And God has chose you, my friend. And God wants to draw you closer to himself for healing and wholeness and redefinition and restoration. So Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. He breaks the ice by saying, Will you give me a drink? And her response is very expected. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jen John says, for, no Jews, Jew, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's not liking this. She's defensive. She's got her walls up. You know, and you're taught not to talk to strangers. But Jesus wasn't taught not to talk to strangers. And, he, and we're probably right that we shouldn't talk to strangers. And there's some people that we shouldn't associate or be with at times, right? We're taught that. But 2,000 years ago, Jews were taught that, to not speak to Samaritans. They were looked down upon as half-breeds, and you're not supposed to eat with them or even drink after them. It wouldn't be right. It would be unclean. It would be disgusting for a proper Jewish man to drink, especially after a Samaritan woman. It's like one of us. The Jews would see it as drinking after a, a wino, a bottle of booze on the street in a bad section of town. But again, Jesus breaks those rules, my friends. He respected this woman. He respected her so much that he wanted to share water with her and share in her thirst. Verse 10 through 12. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and the one that has asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Living water? What is living water? Isn't all water living no, it's not all living. We've seen the opposite sometime or another, haven't we? The opposite of living water is dead water. Water that is absolutely dead. It's stagnant. It's still. It's dirty. And some water is dead. Yet folks continue to drink it. Do you know what dead water is? Dead water is maybe taking the same seat at the bar every night. Dead water is the same old argument you get in each day with yourself or another person. 
Dead water is that habit you persist in nourishing, that habit that is small in itself that will kill you someday. Dead water is maybe something you've nourished in your body for so long, so, so long that it does not give you joy or vigor anymore. Dead water is the water you muster up somehow for yourself that still leaves you crying out for more. It never quenches the soul. And Jesus introduces a new possibility for her in living water, a new existence. John 4, 13 through 16, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a water, a spring of water that is welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming here to draw water. She's taking Jesus literally. She wants to stop going to that well every day in her loneliness. Jesus is speaking metaphorically to her. What is living water? Living water refers to the flow that comes from a spring or a river or a stream that is moving water. Other water stood still that you can find in a well or cistern or old dirty pond. Living water is precious. It was valued in that time. And it was the only water that could be used for ritual cleansing to make unclean worshipers clean again. And she knows there this, there's this type of water out there. Where is it? When I was a boy, we were pretty poor. And we lived on a farm, and it was in Madison, Indiana. And I remember getting hand-me-down water in the bathtub. That's pretty gross, isn't it? Shaking your head. But I was the youngest of four boys. Gray water from your three older brothers taking a bath for you. And my mom did not want a large uh, water bill. No shower, only a farmhouse tub. I survived. I did. I survived. But you know, there's nothing like a shower, moving water, or standing below a waterfall and allowing that water to pour over you, or sliding down a creek of moving water, crisp moving, leaping water. And that original Greek that Jesus used means gushing, leaping, coming out from you. That's the kind of water God wants to give us. And he's talking about spiritual cleansing. And Jesus wants to shift her into a spiritual sense of a spiritual blessing and life-giving nourishment given to her to quench her thirsty, searching soul. God is the source the fountain of living water for all people. Jesus, the Son of God, is the giver of this living water that, can, that we can have within ourselves. The living water that Jesus gives us blesses us, not only us, but it blesses others. And we become eternally alive with this living water. And it's, it, it's a water that brings forth truth in our lives. It cleanses, it frees, it heals, it sustains. It's the living water, it's a fountain springing up forth. And it's a water that cleanses wounds and washes out the unclean and polluted. The living water is what he gives to his believers. And Jesus provides us with this living water that gives us abundant life. 
the living water that we enjoy together, washing and cleansing in that. And we anticipate that eternal life and the water of the water of the throne, water coming from the throne of the living God. And it means being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So you see, she's alone. She's cut off from the source. She's hurting with open wounds. And we find out why. Jesus then cuts to the heart of the issue. He identifies what barrier to her, what barrier is it damming up her not receiving this living water? John 4, 16 through 18. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now have is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Ha <laughs> ha. No doubt this question from her, or this statement from her, go call your husband, comes at a shock. She's taken aback. She says she has no husband. And the response maybe was true. Maybe she was divorced several times or widowed. We don't know. This unnamed woman, we have no idea. But Jesus knows what is true in her life and untrue. And it reminds her that, he, that she has five husbands and her current lover, either the sixth husband or the man to whom she is with, is, she's not married to. Either way, she has this hidden life. And she has a reputation because she's going to the well alone. She's alone and in pain. And her wounds have not turned into healed scars. And because, maybe because she has used up her husband's, the way people use up unsatisfactory waters. Keep trying to find this to cure our souls. We keep trying to find this self-help book. We keep trying the, this fad or this drug or this drink. We try this husband, we try this wife, but ultimately we have no husband. Jesus knows that we have no husband. And Jesus knows that our searching has been fruitless. Our well is dry. And he wants to take us to the waterfall of him, the river or stream of the living water found in him to wash our wounds and to bathe us into new life. And it is all about truth, my friends. You see, truth heals. And it's the truth about her that begins to heal her. Truth is like clean water. Truth quenches spiritual thirst and Jesus knew exactly what she was dealing with participating in and what she was thirsty for and he provided her what she really really needed and in his presence she doesn't find out who she is or his name did you notice that but he showed her that she is worthy worthy enough to be the one he reveals as the messiah you know, right after I heard the gospel and right before I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I remember telling the reality about myself to a guy named Dan. He was on a team member on a retreat that I was attending. I was kneeling at the altar with him. And I told him the story about what was blocking me from experiencing that living water, that grace and that truth. What did I find from Dan as he listened and I poured out my life to him? I found no condemnation and judgment from him, only love and forgiveness. And as I knelt at that altar, 
I did. I told him everything. I told him about my selfish tendencies. I, I shared my sin, even the cruddy stuff. I got these things off my chest. And I had to see the source of my condition, the abuses, the hurt that I was carrying. And like me, Jesus offered that fresh truth to this woman. Truth that frees, truth that heals, truth that sustains. I want to share a video with you about a woman named Tracy Paling. Tracy discovered the wounds, her wounds, and the truth about her life and how God healed her. Let's look at this video together. I would say that the most significant wound that I've experienced in my life is abuse. I've experienced different kinds of abuse from a few different people. Some of these were just a one-time event and some instances were multiple times over years. This happened in childhood, adolescence, and my adult years. My earliest memory of being abused was being bullied at school, uh, both at school and on the school bus, many, many times over a two-year period, starting when I was 10 years old. So how did God heal me? Well, I would say that the first really big season of healing started when I took the Break Free class a few years ago. When I took that class, God showed me that I'd been believing a lie, and that lie was that God couldn't be trusted to protect me. And not only that, but he didn't value me enough to protect me. So believing this lie caused me to have a stronghold of fear some of the results of living in this fear from the stronghold that I had, which was the result of the lie, which was the result of the, the abuse, was that um, I had a lot of anxiety. The funny thing is I didn't really realize I had anxiety until years later. A lot of anxiety, stomach aches, stage fright, just a general nervousness. Um, in all the situations in my life with all my relationships it was just pervasive and I really didn't realize how pervasive it was until I started being healed so no I don't have irritable bowel syndrome because Jesus has healed me no I don't have anxiety anymore it's really lessened quite a bit I feel like God is still healing me from that I think when some people experience trauma or really bad things happening in their life, they feel as though the effects of that are permanent. Well, yes, I do have scars, but I like to look at them as beauty marks because of what God does. He redeems everything. I mean, when Lazarus was dead, that wasn't permanent. Anything that we go through, any pain, any trauma, any hardship, Jesus can do something about it. He restores, he heals, he redeems, he makes all things new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. He's always in the business of making things new. I can see a difference in relationships with people I love. I can see and experience more contentment in my marriage. I see God working in our daughter's lives more and more. I see them seeking the Lord. I see healing going on in them. 
I see God working in my mom's life. It's as though God's healing for me is radiating out like ripples in water. You know, I love how Tracy testifies this ripple effect of her healing gushes out. Love how she says that her scars are beauty marks and how truth was brought into her life. And she understands what Jesus can and will continue to do in her. And I know her. She has a relationship with the living God and that living water. She's a water, living water bearer. Let's continue. John 4, 19 through 26, he says, sir, she says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. This woman launches into what would be maybe a potent response in regard to Jesus' statements. And she wants to free herself from the shame of the past and present herself into the eyes of Jesus and deflect more of his questions and refer to some historical divisions between the Jews and the Samaritans. Both groups understood that God commanded that a place be set aside for worship where his name would be made known. And there's serious disagreements about that with Jews and Samaritans. Mount Gezerim for the Samaritans and Jerusalem for the Jews. But what Jesus wanted to reveal to her, that someday worship can happen anywhere. And something is blocking her. Something is blocking her from worshiping in spirit and in truth. And he's basically saying it doesn't matter where your ancestors worship. Their arguments don't need to be your arguments. And he's telling her that she can experience a new identity found in spirit and in truth. And she'll be a beloved daughter of God because the Messiah will come and make her one of his own. Save her from her sin and give her new living water. And Jesus told, did you notice that he chose to reveal to her that he's the Messiah? That is powerful. Powerful. He wants to save her from this empty life and give her a new identity found in him as a beloved daughter whose wounds are healed and she is set free. My friends, Jesus reaches out to the wounded and he goes out of his way to meet with them. He meets the hurt the shut, shunned, the serial failures. He meets with the spiritually weak, the broken people who live imperfect lives, those who don't have it all together, who are in habitual mess-ups, and he heals their wounds. So what's this next step for her? What happens? She drops the water jar. 
She's filled with living water. She gets it. She's now a daughter of God. What does she do? If you finish reading that chapter, she runs back to Samaria. She tells everybody about her transformation. And it must have taken her boldness and courage to stand in that town where she was once despised and an outcast. But she shared the gospel because she was filled with living water. And the ripple effect came out from her. And she was redefined and she had a testimony to share. Her scarred past became a redeemed future. It became a catalyst to make more and more people believers. And in John 4, 29, she says, Come and see the man who told me everything that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Yes, ma'am. He's the Messiah. And those townspeople listened and they responded. And they came in droves to see the Messiah, to see Jesus for themselves. That one encounter transformed that Samaritan woman's life. I want to ask you today, do you have this living water? Do you desire for your thirst to be quenched? Do you desire to be filled with the Spirit of God? To where that eternal life is welling up in you, leaping and gushing and pouring out that ripple effect. How are you doing? Know that this one, Jesus Christ, seeks you out, my friends, and desires in your struggle to heal your wounds and turn those scars into beauty marks. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray that your living water would be poured out upon us. That you would fill us and meet our thirst. And that we would thirst no more for dead water, but that we would experience the life-changing, invigorating, gushing, springing water that you can give, only you can give and fill us with. God, we pray. Right now, that our testimony would go out there would be a ripple effect that the water would gush over into other people's lives so that they can have a testimony like we have one, a life-changing encounter. We thank you, Lord, that you sought this woman out and you seek us out this day. We love you and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.